Well, one of the many things that I am grateful for in this church, one of the recurrent um, sources of thanksgiving as I think about uh, this local flock is all the kids. I am thankful for all the, the children and young people in this church. Yesterday, I sat down with the church directory and just kind of scanned through it. I wanted to see how many how many children and youth we have actively involved in this church. And so I just kind of did a tally as I went through. I counted over 180 active adults in in this church. Some are more active than others. I didn't break it down that way. But, uh, but people that are regularly attending here, that did not include college students who are away at school. And then I counted over 120 uh, very active children and youth and and so 40% of our church ranges from the from newborn to high school age and uh I I love that and uh, I'm thankful for that and I I would be fine if that even grew more um we 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 love children we should love children uh because Jesus loves children and we don't just say that because there's a children's bible song that we grew up singing Jesus loves the little children we that that statement is true and that song is true because because it's in scripture is what we find in the bible in passage like we just read a moment ago baraka's children and and youth ministries are are an important essential part of our mission as a church they're not incidental they're not taking the kids away so we can do and focus on the mission of the church no it's part of it's an integral part of, of what we're doing, of making disciples of all nations. This is, this is an important part of the church. There's, and, and that's true in both the formal, kind of uh, observable ministries and expressions of ministry toward children and youth, and also in the more informal ways in which we relate and set example and teach and pray for young people. There's an article in the bulletin uh, that Eric wrote just uh, talking about the, the name change in student ministries, now called The Well. And and so when you hear that that phrase, you know what we're talking about. And I, I encourage you to read that, not right this second, but but read that today and and let that be a, a, a reminder of you for you to pray for pray for our youth, uh, pray for the children of this church, uh, pray for the parents of of these these children and youth, pray for those that serve in in children and student ministries and in work. I'm just going to ask if. If you are our servant, if you're a, a ministry leader or helper in either in, in any kind of children's or youth ministries, from nursery, preschool, uh, elementary, all the way up to youth, middle school, high school, could you just stand up if you're one of our volunteer servants in those ministries? Awana, Sunday school, all across the across the board. That's great. That's great. All right, stay standing. Stay standing. Uh, remain standing for just a second. If you're a child, if you're from uh, I know with babies are probably in the nursery or being held, they can't stand up. But from from little kids all the way up to high school seniors that will be graduating this year, would you please stand up and join these? All right, that's good. Now, if you're a parent of one of these children and you're not already standing, please stand up. All right, all right, that's good. That's a that is a large that is a large portion of our church. You can go ahead and be seated. Now, if you were you remain seating through that whole time that does not mean you're uninvolved I realize in in the lives of these young people I know you pray I know you again set an example in speech and in conduct and you and you and you engage with these these young people and 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 communicate with them so I'm thankful for for all of you um and and 
And so I'm thankful for the children. And, but listen, having lots of children, having a, a large ratio of, of young people in our church is not the goal of our ministry. That's not the end that we're striving after. It, it does not necessarily mean, just because we have a lot of kids, that our perspective about children and young people is just like Jesus' perspective. Um, that we can have lots of children in our church and still hinder children in our church in the way that Jesus is talking about here. We won't be judged by the Lord the final day by some quota on the number of kids that we have. We will, go, though, give an account for whether or not we hindered any one of these children from coming to Jesus. And, and that's, what, that's sobering. That God is less concerned about the, 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 how big our families and our classrooms and our youth ministries are. And he's far more concerned about our attitude towards those young people in those families and classrooms and ministries and our church. And so we're in Matthew, and our focus really will be just on those three verses in Matthew 19. And I'll just make passing reference back to chapter 18, the passage that Van read. But we have this little episode involving Jesus and children in Matthew 19, 13 to 15. And these, there are almost word-for-word parallels of this same passage in, in both Mark and Luke. And, and that tells us that the, the fact that this little, tiny little episode, this little story appears three times in the Bible, it says it, it should get our attention. That God saw fit through His Spirit to, to make sure that this was recorded in, in different ways, almost word-for-word. And so the story is simple enough. People, presumably parents, uh, though it's not explicitly stated, they, they hear that Jesus is in the area. And we don't know if these people were believers or followers of Jesus Christ. Maybe they just heard about this, this rabbi who was teaching in powerful ways and was performing these miracles. But one way or another, they hear that Christ is in the area. And, and it was customary for parents to, to, to seek out rabbis or priests to lay hands on their children and to pray for them and to bless their children. And so these parents, they know Jesus. He's not an ordinary rabbi. That's clear. And, 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 and they know his touch is some, is powerful and he touches the leopards and they're healed instantly. He, he, he touches Peter's mother-in-law and the fever breaks. He touches the blind in their eyes and they see again. And so here they want Jesus to, to lay hands on their children, to bless them, to pray for them. And, and so Jesus, and besides that, I, I don't doubt that Jesus developed a reputation for loving children. I, I think that pe- that was observable. Um, I, I think he, he cared for them. He probably smiled at them. He, he talked to them. He welcomed them. He showed affection for kids. And that's not lost on parents. And so Je- Jesus loved children. Children loved Jesus. The parents recognize that. So these parents, they want Jesus himself to touch them, to bless them, to pray for them. And so we don't know the ages of these kids. Uh, the word that's used here in Matthew is, is elastic. It could be everything from a newborn infant all the way to, to a young, young adult even, a young person, youth. And so Luke says that even infants were brought to him, but he's not saying exclusively infants, but infants were included in those. So I, I think the scene is you have, you have moms probably carrying babies. You have, you have you know, toddlers kind of stumbling along down the road beside their parents. You had older, older youths running around chasing each other and, and following their parents to go see Jesus. That's the scene. And so it's a happy scene, right? Streams of kids with parents coming to Christ. This couldn't get better. This is exactly what we want to see in our church. And, and, and so 
Um, so this happy scene, though, it takes a sharp turn in the end of verse 13. It says that the disciples rebuke the people. The disciples rebuke the people. And the tense of that verb, rebuked, it's, we call it an imperfect tense in Greek. What it simply means is it's, it's, it's this continuous action. The disciples kept on rebuking the people. They were continually rebuking the people. As people kept on coming to Jesus with their kids, the disciples kept on rebuking the people. So it's not just like one time, like, I've had enough, and they say something. It was this continuous, and Jesus observing and listening to the disciples over and over again, rebuke people that bring their kids to Jesus. They're telling them they're wrong to do this. They're sending them away, shooing them away. And we're not told why. They rebuke the people, and it says they don't, they don't rebuke the children, they rebuke the people, the parents who, or those who brought the children. Maybe they're annoyed by this, that Jesus is held up on his journey. He's going to Jerusalem, he's on a, on a mission, he's trying to get somewhere, and, and this slows them down. Maybe they're being interrupted, maybe they were in some important doctrinal discussion with Jesus, and Jesus was explaining something about the kingdom, and, and here, here they're interrupted. Maybe they're trying to protect Jesus uh, from, from the nuisance that these children might be to him. His demeanor is changing. If you remember through the gospel accounts, here we're getting later in the gospel of Matthew. And, and again, his face is set toward Jerusalem. He knows the cross is coming. And the disciples notice this, this demeanor of Christ changing. And so, so, so maybe they're trying to protect Christ. Maybe they think it would somehow dishonor Jesus to, to, to stop and to minister to these kids. This is a lowly task. Praying for children. We, children in this culture were not seen like we do. We, we, we tend to go the other extreme in how we view children. But there is a really diminutive view of, of children. This is beneath him, maybe they thought. So we don't know the exact reason for the rebuke, but we do know they were wrong in doing so. You know how we know it? Well, Jesus tells us. Verse 14. So the disciples were continually rebuking the people. Verse 14, that little word, but... It's an adversative. On the con- to the contrary, in opposition to what the disciples said, Jesus said. So he's, that little, little word is just saying, here's, here's the disciples, this is where all the disciples are. Jesus over here. He thinks differently. He speaks differently. So Jesus said, Jesus thinks differently about this scene that's unfolding that the disciples do. And he doesn't just laugh at the disciples and say, oh, it's okay. I have time, you know, don't, don't worry. They can come to me for a few minutes. It's like a, you know, a celebrity that kind of gets his bodyguards to back off because of some anxious autograph seeker. You know, it's okay. I'll talk with them for a few minutes. That's not it. In the Gospel of Mark, we're told that Jesus was angered, was indignant at his disciples for their attitude. So verse 14, but, but Jesus said... Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. In Mark's parallel, Mark 10, verse 16, it says that then Jesus, after saying that, then he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And so he he joyfully, not begrudgingly, welcomes these kids. He's not annoyed by them in any way. He's eager to hold them, eager to pray for them, eager to bless them. And, and, and you think about this. You, 
you, uh, you, you have other places in Scripture. We know the power of Jesus Christ as, as the fully God, fully man, uh, God incarnate. He is, he is the one who made all things, the one who holds all things together. Jesus is the one who knit these very children together in their mother's womb. He is the one who holds them together. He is, he is the, the keeper of these little ones. He knows them by name. He knows how many hairs are on their head. And he sees these children coming. And he loves them. Just think of all that's going on in the mind of Christ. And so, again, this is, this is the story. It's very simple, not hard to understand. You have a way of thinking in the disciples. You have a way of thinking and speaking with Jesus. The disciples have one way of viewing children. Jesus has another way. The disciples have one way of speaking about children. Jesus has a different way of speaking about children. The disciples had a perspective on kids that needed to be reformatted. <laughs> and I would just say to us, you, you and I may have an attitude about children that needs to be adjusted by our Lord. We can, we can, we can find ourselves with the disciples in this at times. So how, how do we think about kids? Just two statements this morning and then, and then a good bit of application for us today. Just two, two, two broad statements, so summarizing this passage. First, Jesus loves children and wants them to come to him. I know that is not, wow, never thought of that before. But Jesus loves children and wants them to come to him. Children are valued by God. Children are gifts of the Lord, Psalm 127.3 says. On the other hand, the devil, he hates children. He despises them. He always has. His, his influence in this world has also been seen throughout history. The, the, the history of the world and, and, and this corrupt world, it has not consistently looked upon children as gifts. It's not been the pattern. This is, we, could, we could chart this the rest of the morning, but just a few examples. You have Pharaoh ordering the death of all the Jewish Baby boys in Exodus chapter 1, you have the worshipers of Molech who are sacrificing their children to this idol <coughs> in acts of worship. You, even in the time of Christ, it was, it was not uncommon for newborns to be, to be kind of taken to the patriarch of the family and the patriarch would decide whether to, to let the child live and to raise the child or just kind of leave him to exposure to die. And so that was not uncommon. You have Herod, I mean, who orders the murder of all the male children of Bethlehem from the age of two. And so Joseph and Mary flee with the, the child Jesus. And so even, even in our own day, our culture, you know, our culture is strange. It sends mixed signals about kids, doesn't it? Um, in general, our, our culture is still moved by stories of children being hurt or killed. And we have laws to protect Children and many of those are good laws, um, but then, but then our country also has legalized the killing of unborn uh, babies, and we're going to talk about this more next week. You have human trafficking, which uh, of children and adults, but of children in particular, that's that's on the is just rampant in the world, and you have abuse that's epidemic uh, toward children, and so so we have this mixed. Mixed signals that, that we see in our own culture. And now most of us aren't struggling to the temptation to sacrifice our children to Moloch. I don't think that's probably where you struggle. Um, but we can be like the 12. 
we can have the attitude and the perspective of the disciples. We can have the attitude towards children that's off the mark of where Jesus is, how he thinks, how he speaks. And so a couple of things just in, in terms of the value of children to Jesus. That children are valued by Jesus as young image bearers of God. That's one way. They're, that Jesus, he doesn't just have sentimental love for kids. It's not just because they're so stinking cute. I mean, some of our kids, well, all of our kids, I'm not trying to single any out, but, but you know, there's those kids. They're just so cute. And at certain ages, they all are cute. And, but that's not it. And he doesn't just love children because they're innocent. Because they're not innocent. If you have kids or ever around kids, you know that's not true. They're born in sin. He, he, Jesus loves people. He loves all people. He loves sinful people because they're made in God's image. But even with that, he seems to have this special affinity for child image bearers, for kid sinners. Um, you see him dealing harshly with religious leaders. You see him departing from fickle crowds. You see him dealing kind of sternly with his, his faithless disciples. You know, we'll see him in the next section in Matthew 19. He, he, he almost puts up a barrier before the rich young ruler. And, and so you see that, but with children... And those like children, it's different. He welcomes them. He, he warmly accepts them. He calls them to himself. He blesses them. And so that's, I don't know, they're, they're these children. He loves children, these children made in God's image. And we need to love children. We need to see kids in that light and, and, and have that kind of Christ-like love for children. That doesn't mean that every one of us is going to, to be a children's or youth, children or youth worker, though we would love to have more. Will we not, Eric? Yes, Eric's amen to that. And, and, and Jacqueline and the preschool and all nursery and children. We, we could always use more helpers in those roles. And I would love to see more involved in that. And, and that's a way to apply this. But, but all of us, we, we, we all need to do all we can to see kids go to Christ. That's what we want. We seem to make much of Jesus. We want them to see them streaming to him and being blessed by him. And changed by him. And so children are valued by Jesus as, as image bearers of God. Second, children are valued by Jesus as models of king, kingdom citizens. He says verse, in verse 14, For such, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Those who are like these children. <coughs> their children are great models of how we need to be to enter the kingdom. And, 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 and so this is a consistent message of Jesus. We saw it again back in, in, in Matthew 18, verse 3. Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is, what is, what is it about kids that Jesus is kind of focusing on? Why does he say that? Why is, why is it those like kids that, that are, are the ones who enter the kingdom? Well, just think about it. They're, first thing, children, children are humble. And you say, yeah, right. You haven't been around been around kids very much, have you? No, but I don't I don't mean in in terms of even the fruit of the spirit, but I mean they're they're of no rank, they're of no position. I mean, think of a young child. They're 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 just starting out. We don't and, and, and you think of for us, how do we come to Christ? We don't come to Christ with heads held high and with honor and chest bowed out. We come humble, desperate, needy sinners. We come no rank, no position. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. And, and so this is the consistent message of Jesus. The kingdom is not for the righteous, it's not for the religious, it's not for the mighty, it's not for those who have the act, 
their act together. It's for sinners who know it. And so that's, that's part of it. it. Also, children are helpless and dependent. Um, they're needy. These children don't come to Jesus on their own. They're brought to him. Also, children aren't, cons- aren't so concerned about worldly things. Again, if, you, saw, if you're, you looked at your children's Christmas wish list, maybe you beg to differ with me on this one too. But you think of a young child. He doesn't, he doesn't know to want things like as you get as we get older. He doesn't care about brand names. <laughs> a little baby, I don't care what clothes they're wearing. And, and and you contrast this again to the rich young ruler and the verses that follow. What a child and how a child thinks. Also and finally, children are trusting. We talk about childlike faith. They trust. They're almost to a fault. They just will go with whoever. They, they trust, they're trusting, naturally trusting people. <clears throat> and so one of the reasons Jesus loves children so much and loves having them around is that, is that they provide this perfect object lesson for saving faith. They're not annoyances. They're not, a dis, not distractions to him, especially when he's teaching. In fact, he, he loves it because they're these perfect illustrations of what he's trying to communicate with his disciples. The more we know and understand the gospel, the more we'll love kids. And this is an implication of this. Why? Because we receive salvation like a child. We, we, we all did. If you, if you think you att- attain salvation some other way than receiving it like a child, if you think you did it by your works, if you think you did it because you got your act together, if you think you did it in, in, some of, in your own strength, you probably will not care much for kids. But if you're, not, if you're not childlike toward God, kids will kind of seem beneath you, um, not worth your time. So do you, do you have the right perspective on children? Do you view children in your home, in our church, in our community, um, the way Jesus does? Or do you tend to see more of that attitude of the disciples in your life? Um, which is it? You see children as nuisances, inconveniences, distractions, interruptions. Are they in the way of real ministry? Is ministry to children beneath you? Well, again, Jesus in Mark ten sixteen, Jesus, the text says that Jesus took the children in his arms, blessed them. It's personal. It's warm. It's affectionate. Children felt comfortable with Jesus, and Jesus felt comfortable with them. And I, would, I think there's implications there even for us. How, that kids read our attitudes, don't they? I know they do. As a, I can tell you as a parent, this is true. They, they know whether you like them. They know whether you want them around. They know whether they're a bother to you or not. They can tell by the warmth of your smile. They can tell by whether you put down things in your hand and talk to them. You get down on eye level. I love seeing this happen. I see this. Some of your great examples is get, a, get down on your knee and look at a kid and Talk to them. That's great. They, they can tell by the kindness in your tone of voice. They, they, they can tell by appropriate touch. They can tell by thoughtfulness and remembering their names and remembering the things they're interested in. They can tell by you asking questions and listening for them to try to put the words together to answer them, answer your questions. And and again, I'm thankful for, this dad is thankful for many great examples of this in this congregation. I, uh, I just, one that we all uh, can appreciate is how, how Dave Huther did this so well. 
and, and just sitting down and, and looking at kids and engaging with them on Sunday nights. I just remember telling jokes with them and, and, and being interested in the things they were interested in. I, I'm so thankful for that. And again, many others uh, here as well. But when we demonstrate that kind of Christ-like love for children, God can use us to, to open their hearts to love Him and to love His truth. And, and, and that's, a, that's a way to, to get into a child's mind and his heart. Truth, truth is so very important for children. Listen, we, we want to teach children truth. We want them to know sound doctrine. But if you teach the truth to children here at, in, in Sunday school classes in Iwana and informally in, in, in or at home, if you teach children with a stern, gruff, cold, unloving manner, you might as well just about teach them false doctrine. Um, if, if what they feel from us is anger, if they sense they're a nuisance to us, they'll not receive our instruction. And we, we talk about this with Good News Club. We were over there at uh, Fayetteville Elementary on Monday afternoons and starting back uh, tomorrow. And we talk about that often because, you know, we come in, we prepare, and you've got things you want to say. These are important truths for these kids to learn. But we often remind one another the worst thing we could do is to present God's truth in a way that is abrasive and harsh. And, and, and we, will, we will really leave a bad taste in their mouth for God's truth. So we don't want to get in the way of the glories of, of God's gospel and by our demeanor. And we need to be careful too. Jesus did not. He loves children. He longs for them to come to him. And so should we. And so because of that, he, he warns the twelve, at the end of, he warns the twelve, let the children come to me and do not hinder, hinder them. And that brings us to the second statement. It's this, is that as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, we should do everything we can to remove hindrances that keep children from coming to Jesus. And so one of our main aims should be to see children come to Christ. Come in a, into a genuine, saving, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what we're, one of the things we're laboring for. We need to be actively, deliberately seeking to bring people to Jesus. The other side of that coin is we don't want to do anything that might hinder a child from coming to Christ. And this is the other side that Jesus reminds them of how can we hinder children from coming to Christ. Just give you several ways, and, and then we'll be done. Um, now, what I'm saying, about to say, and, and these are all kind of stated negatively, things that we could do to hinder kids. Uh, this is a lot of self-talk, and so this is not from a pastor or a father who has got these things all figured out and lives this out. And my kids can attest to that. And so the last one on the list will certainly strikes home to me as I. Think about this. But what can we do? How can we hinder kids from coming to Christ? The first one way. There could be others. One is we could confuse them with mixed up priorities. Confuse them with mixed up priorities. You can tell, you can tell kids that Jesus is my, I can tell kids Jesus is my treasure till I'm blue in the face. But if, if, if what, what are my priorities? What are the priorities in my life and my family and in our church? What do they communicate to kids? What is it that most excites me? What is, what is it that I'm most passionate about? What, what is it that I always make time for? What is it that, what's the first thing that I cut out of my busy schedule? What do I spend money on? I see you start to ask. Your kids, they pick up on this. They read us. They see these things. They notice these things. So that's, 
That's one way. Another way, you burden them with gospelless religion. With gospelless religion. Talk very little about the cross to boys and girls. But talk much about being good little boys and girls. <laughs> Turn Christianity into mindless, loveless, self-righteous do-goodism. Make our homes, make our church just little Pharisee factories. We just churn them out and we, 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 we uh, work really hard to, to make everybody appear righteous on the outside and there be emptiness inside. We're okay with that instead of being desperate for God and His grace. So that's another way we can hinder kids. This, this uh, void of the gospel, but much of our rules. Another way is we teach them that life consists of the abundance of possessions. This is a way we hinder kids. Teach them to love and live for this life and not to long for the next one. When when you're at Target pushing that shopping cart around that store, you're training your kids. They see what goes into the cart. They, they, They see whether or not you're able to say no to things that you want but don't really need. They, they, they read. They pick up on that. Not, not that there's th- anything wrong with things and stuff from Target and nice things from Target. That's not my point. But we've got to be careful. Kids need to be able to answer very click, clearly and very quickly this question. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? He ought to be able to say Nothing. And, and moms and dads, we need to model that. Another way we can hinder kids is to bore them with a passionless life. You can say you really love Christ, but if there's little evidence of that professed love impacting the way you think, the way you speak, the way you act, the way you worship, that could be a hindrance. You can give them a perception of the Christian life that that it's dull and that it's monotonous and routine and adventureless. It's just kind of bland. That being a Christian amounts to going to church one time a week. That's, that's Christianity, boiled down. <coughs> that will be a hindrance. Instead, we need to model for them that worship is duty. It's not duty, but it's delight. Um, another way... Is we can water down, we need we can water down God's truth until it tastes uh, bland. Excuse me, I'm gonna get a drink real quick. Water down God's truth until it tastes bland. The water was not a prop. <laughs> um, we can reduce God's word to just kind of the level of suggestions. Uh, we can we can treat the Bible like it's a dead letter instead of the living and powerful word of God. It changes us. Another way, you can embitter, embitter them with your anger. Ephesians 6, 4, we know this verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But domineering dads, angry dads, impatient dads, grumpy dads, and mothers. Um, but I think this is particularly a, a struggle for, for fathers. We can, we can hinder children by that. How, how are we doing, fathers? Um, are you provoking your sons and daughters to anger? Are you provoking them with your own anger? There's nothing that begets anger in our kids like our anger towards them. Are you demonstrating humility in your home towards your wife, 
towards um, your children? Are you regularly confessing sin when you, you do become angry and when you do sin in the home? Are you teaching your children to depend upon God for everything in, in their life? Is the gospel what drips from your, from your lips and just ooze and pour over into your life? Another way, you can neglect them because of laziness. You just never, never make deliberate plans for them. I know we often say children grow up so fast and time flies. And I mean, I feel that. I mean, it, is, it does. It just seems like the accelerator is just to the floor as our kids are changing and getting older. But, but I can't use that as an excuse and just kind of sit around and, and just say that and, and let these opportunities go by to disciple my children and to have meaningful conversations and engage them and to talk with them and sit with them and pray with them and, and, and instruct them and, and weep with them and, and teach them and show them and all these things. We've, we've got to take advantage of these. Now, God doesn't, isn't looking for us to just make sweeping resolutions to do better. But, but, but that we would trust God and just do, do the next thing and, and start small and, and, and depend upon Him just to, just to make progress, to seize those opportunities. I'm switching the last two for a reason to be clear in just a moment. But another way, we, we can delude them because of our duplicity. We can let them grow up thinking that the gospel is a sham because of our hypocrisy. And hypocrisy will hinder kids from coming to Christ. If you're different at the church than you are at home, your kids will see. If, if your kids have a sit in the back seat and watch this miraculous trans, transformation that takes place every Sunday when your vehicle pulls into the church parking lot, they see this bizarro change in mom and dad. They, they pick up on that. Mom and dad are one way and they talk and they, and they have a different tone of voice and they have different mannerisms when they're here than they are at home. The smile gets replaced with the scowl when they leave. Kind words get replaced with arguing and screaming. The Bible just kind of collects dust through the week. And so if you say one thing, live another, your children will learn from you. Um, another way, and finally, you can abuse them with verbal, physical, or sexual force. Sadly, this is not uncommon among professing Christians. Um, abusive speech, which is so clearly forbidden in Scripture. Words are to build up and to encourage others. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.29, to scream at a child in anger, to call him names, him or her names, to use put-downs to intimidate them, is, is sin. If you do this, repent. Confess your sin, humble yourself, seek their forgiveness. Also, physical. There, there's a proper place for spanking and physical discipline, but it is always a sin to hit your child when, when you are not in control of your anger. Um, we should never, never beat a child in anger. We should never strike a child on his or her face. Spanking should bring correction to, to rebellious behavior. It should not be a vent for parents' frustration or anger. We can we can cross that line. Sexual abuse is more obviously wrong, but Christians should never touch boys or girls in inappropriate ways. Whether you're a parent, a grandparent, an uncle, um, uh, a brother, sister, friend, and sexual abuse isn't just touch; it comes in many forms and words and through what we see and show. Um, 
And many children grow up with twisted thoughts of, about God and the church and the gospel because of sexual abuse. Now, this has obviously hit close to home over in this church over the last 18 months. Um, but, but even those that were directly affected in our body, they're not alone. Um, there, there, are, there are others of us who have experienced the trauma of sexual abuse as, as children and even as adults. And clearly, this, this is a hindrance for a child coming to Christ. It's not, a, not an, a, a, a hindrance that can't be overcome, but it is a hindrance. This is something Jesus takes very seriously. I'm going I'm to ask Jim to come up in just a moment. And so if you'll be ready, Jim. Uh, he's going to talk about, we, we, I mentioned this back in the fall, uh, um, a process that we're going to be going through as a church of, in terms of protecting children and youth in our church. This is something, uh, even before uh, the, the, what transpired in the last year came about, this is something that was already on our heart to do, to develop better policies and training for our, our children, youth workers, parents, and even the young people in our church. And so, uh, But this is a ministry that we've been connected to in God's providence through all that's transpired. So, Jim, if you could come up and, and, and explain where we're heading and what's going on, and then I'll have a few more words to, to, in closing before we sing and, and go to the Lord's table together. As Justin mentioned, we are wanted to develop and implement a comprehensive child safety policy, and we are now in the pursuit of doing that. And to accomplish that goal, we've chosen to employ the assistance of an organization called GRACE. GRACE is an acrostic for godly response to abuse in the Christian environment. GRACE is a nonprofit ministry that has several profession, professionals and volunteers with experience in and passion for this area of ministry that is difficult. The mission of GRACE is to empower the Christian community through education and training to recognize, prevent, and res, uh, respond to child abuse. GRACE exists to equip and assist faith communities to mirror God's justice, mercy, and compassion for children and survivors of all ages. GRACE has started a new program called Child Safeguarding Certification, or as we will call it, CSC. The goal of this certification is to create a safe environment for children in the church through education and implementation of a comprehensive safety policy. Baraka has decided to pursue the development of our safety policy through the CSC certification process. This process has three phases. First, phase one is called the pre-visit, pre-site visit. And in this phase, there is a phone conference with church leadership, a selection of a CSC team, and a liaison between Grace and Baraka. There is reading and media requirements for church leadership and the CSC team. And there are reading and media requirements for ministry leaders and volunteers. We have completed the first two steps of phase one. I have the privilege of working with the following folks on the CSC team. That would be uh, Devin Bell, Jacqueline Bell, Patty Clay, and Ellis Lau. Phase two of the certification process is called the on-site visit. There will be two separate on-site visits from the GRACE representative. During this phase, there's going to be meetings with church leadership and the CSC team. There's going to be training with ministry leaders and volunteers, or in so many words, 
all of us. Physical property inspection will take place during that time looking for safety upgrades and improvements. And then, of course, the policy manual development meetings will take place with the CSC team. The first visit is going to take place February 17th through 19th, and that's going to be with the leadership and the CSC team. The, uh, the training of ministry leaders and volunteers is going to take place during the second visit to Baraka. That date for the second visit is being worked out right now, and we will communicate that as soon as possible. Phase three is called the post-site visit, and this is where uh, there is a facilitation and completion of the child protection policy for Bracken Bible Church. Uh, the Grace representative will insist, assist us and ensure the adoption and implementation of the policy and procedures. And then finally, there will be a, a confirmed completion of all of the certification requirements for Baraka Bible Church. And there are many more details that will be filled in in the near future. So what is your part in this process? We need your prayers. The CSC team really covets your prayers for all aspects of this pursuit. You know, the policy development, the arrangement of the two on-site visits, and the completion of all that, the communication with everybody within the church. Read suggested resources. There's going to be communication for the whole body, materials that you can be reading. Also watch your mailbox downstairs for resources that will be placed there. Uh, if you are in a ministry leadership or volunteer area, there will be specific reading assignments for you, and those will be communicated to you as well uh, by email. Uh, be prepared for the on-site on on training, and again, that date will be coming very soon. Ask questions and give, give feedback. This initiative is for all of us, for the good of our children, our grandchildren, and the glory of God. I encourage you to visit the GRACE website, which is www.netgrace.org. You will find many helpful resources there and gain a better understanding of their ministry. Thanks, Jim. So I would encourage, if you've got questions or if anything's unclear, please uh, talk with Jim. Talk with um, uh, uh, one of the other team members, uh, Devin and Jacqueline Bell, Ellis Lowe, and Patty Clay. And, um, and uh, but we are we are very thankful for this opportunity to be part of this pilot program, and and uh, it, it is just the kind of thing we were looking for, and to have somebody walk alongside us through this process. Well, uh, un unquestionably, children are precious to the Lord, and they need to be um, precious to us—not just feelings, but deliberate hindrance-removing love for kids. And this is what we want to continue to model and grow in as a church. Um, as we get ready for the table in, in uh, just a moment, I, there, there is a connection. As you work through Matthew, and we know the triumphal entry is coming soon, and Jesus enters into Jerusalem with his death in view. And, and before he's in the upper room with the disciples instituting this, the, the Lord's table, um, he, he went into the temple, and he went in there, and he cleansed and overturned tables, and, and he performed miracles, he healed the lame, he, he, he made the blind see. But, but the thing that really ticked the religious leaders off in that narrative, and what Matthew really points out, is the children in the temple. <laughs> and you, you see it in, in Matthew 21, 14 to 16, and, 
They're, they're, they're looking, these kids, and all this going on, all this commotion, what really sets them off is they see these children, and they're shouting out as they look at Jesus, and as they point at Jesus, Jesus, Hosanna to the Son of David. They heard their parents say the same thing the day before, and they probably joined in. And, but here they're saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. And, and the chief priests and the scribes, they just come unglued at that. They're just beside themselves and furious, and they're questioning Jesus. How, do you hear what these kids are saying? And Jesus responds, saying that these kids are fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> he says, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? Um, now, I, I realize that's a prophetic fulfillment in a particular moment in Jesus' life, but kids, just look at me real quick, all you children and young people. God has created you and prepared your life for His praise. He wants you to live for His glory alone. And, and, I, I, and I know there are a lot of, going to be a lot of pressures on you as you, as you grow up to, to live for other things and to pursue other things. But, but listen, Jesus wants you to, to, to live for His honor and His glory and His praise. And He's done everything necessary so that you can do that. He's cleared the way. And, and this table that we're going to come and that uh, maybe, maybe you'll be able to participate in or maybe you'll watch your mom and dad participate in, this is a reminder of this, that Jesus has opened the way for us through his death and resurrection to, to be able to live for his glory. And, and it's, it's his work that we come to remember at the table, and we'll do that in just a moment. Let me pray, and, and we're going to sing one song, and then we'll, we'll come and gather at the table together. Father, would you help us as we, as we remember Christ together, God, to... Uh, fill our hearts with with gratitude, God, again, for what we sang earlier, that, that we, would, we would see in the bread and in the cup how great a love the Father that you have bestowed upon us, that we could be called children of God. And such we are. And so fill our, our mouths with praise and our hearts with, with gratitude as we sing and, and eat and drink together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.